Well, again, good morning. If this is your first time with us ever in Grand Isle, first time ever at our Lady of the Isle, I want to say welcome. Great to have you with us today. If this is your first time coming back to the island since July, I want to say welcome back to paradise. Welcome home again. And if this is your first time at Mass since COVID, I want to say welcome home. Great to have you back at Mass today. I'm excited that you're here. I can't wait to, to unpack a message with you today because there was a question and an answer in the gospel today that will affect your life today, right now, and will have an influence in your life for all of eternity. And that's part of a story, and I can't wait to tell you the story. So let's go into the, to the bulletin. On page four, that's going to be the notes for our message today. We're going to have a little Bible study today as part of a story. Page four in the bulletin. A question that was asked, an answer that was given, and that's going to affect your life right now. And it's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to tell us where we are for all of eternity. I can't wait to tell you this story. Now, that story is going to start on page 4 in the bulletin. It's going to start in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, it's the call of Moses. Let's kind of put that in the context, right? So God's chosen people have been enslaved by the Egyptians. They've been in slavery for 400 years. And God is, is now intervening into the story of his chosen people. He is going to set them free, and he's going to send Moses to speak to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, with a powerful message. Now let's kind of pick it up inside the story. That's where we are in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read it out loud. What I'd like you to do is I would like you to read along with me in silence as we look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 15. So I'm going to read it in, uh, out loud. You kind of follow with me in silence. Page 4 in the bulletin. But the Lord said, I have witnessed the affliction of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cry against their taskmasters. So I know well that they are suffering. Therefore, I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them up from that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, indeed, the outcry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this will be your sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God at this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What do I tell them? Now let's pause here for a moment. God is inviting Moses to, 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 to speak to Pharaoh on his behalf. And Moses just asked God a very important question. And that question is a question that we're going to be asking today. right? He said, God, what's your name? If I go to your people and I say, God spoke to me and God wants to liberate us. And they ask me, well, what's God's name? What do I say to them? Let's go back to the text now. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Then he added, 
This is what you would tell the Israelites. I am sent me to you. God spoke further to Moses. This is what you will say to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title for all generations. End quote. So Moses asks God, what is your name? And God responds to Moses. He says, my name is I am. Right? He says to him, I am who I am. This is what you would tell the Israelites. I am sent me to you. So Moses wants to know the name of God. God wants his name to be known. God says to Moses, my name is I am. Now, that is significant, right? It's the first time that that God reveals himself to all of humanity at, at this stage of the story. And God says, if you want to know what my name is, my name is I Am. Now, we could have a whole Bible study just on the name of God, I Am. We can maybe do that later on. But one thing I want us to kind of appreciate today is that the Old Testament wasn't written in English. We read it in English, but the Old Testament was written in an older language, right? It was written in Hebrew. And when you translate the Hebrew into English, that's the text that we just read together. But you can translate the Hebrew into other languages. And if you translate the Hebrew into Greek which would have been a language that the New Testament, especially today's gospel, would have been written in. If you translate the Hebrew into Greek, the literal translation of I am is ego ami. If you look at the notes there, right, the literal Greek translation of I am is ego ami. So God says to Moses, my name is I am. If they would have been talking in Greek, of course they weren't, but if we would translate that in Greek, God says to Moses, my name is Ego Ami. Now, this story, the call of Moses, would have been at the heart of the story of God's chosen people. Right? Their exodus from Egypt especially as the story unfolds as they wander through the desert. This is the story of God's chosen people. And in the hearts of the descendants of Moses, they would have all known the story, especially those who were following Jesus. Right? So when Peter and Matthew and Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of God, when they would have heard the story of the call of Moses, it would have been at the heart of their understanding of who God is. It would have been at the heart of the story of God's chosen people at the time of Jesus also. This story, and particularly the name of God, I am, ego I me, would have been at the heart of what every Jewish person would have known about God at the time of Jesus. So when Jesus, in today's Gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, as Jesus is performing this miracle, there is something that emerges in the story today that would have pierced the hearts of all those who would have been in that boat. 
So, of course, the story today of, of Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water and him, him pulling him out of the water. And there's, there's lots that we could say about that that would really be an awesome story. But for today's story, for today's Bible study, I want to zero in on a very particular part of the story of today's gospel so we can make a parallel to what we just read from the book of Exodus. If you go back with me to the notes on page 4, You'll see in today's gospel, Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, it says, and I quote, At once Jesus spoke to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Remember, he was walking on the water and they, they thought it was a ghost. And he didn't want them to be afraid. He wanted them to know it was him. But notice what Jesus says to them. He says, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now again, the gospel wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. And if we translate the Greek into English, we see the words that we have today. But the literal Greek, the original Greek, the language that the gospel was written in, it actually says, Take courage, ego ami, do not be afraid. It says, Take courage, I am, do not be afraid. Jesus, as he reveals himself to his apostles in that boat, walking on the water, claims the name of God as he reveals himself to his followers. It's the first time with such explicit intentionality that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is sitting in a place where he says, I am. I am God. My name, the name of God, like I, I am God. I claim that name. I am. I am. You might say, right? Jesus says, ego on me, I am the one who spoke to Moses in the Old Testament, who led your people out of slavery and into freedom. I am the Messiah. I am God. I am. And so when Jesus reveals himself using this name, Ego Ami, we know that the apostles understood what he was saying because it says at the end of the Gospels that they, they fell down and they worshipped him. They literally prostrated themselves before him in acknowledgement that he is God as Jesus said that he was I Am. Now, what's very interesting about this is that Jesus actually with his own mouth says that he is God. And that's very interesting because if you take all the religious um, leaders of every world religion, none of them would actually draw attention to themselves. None of them would say what Jesus said, right? So Confucius would never draw attention to himself, right? That's the... the the religion of China, you might say. Right. He'd talk about the way, and Buddha wouldn't talk about himself. He'd talk about enlightenment, and Muhammad wouldn't talk about himself. He'd talk about Allah. You know, you take all the world religions, and you take the, the leaders, the founders of those world religions, none of them would draw attention to themselves except Jesus. Jesus leaves no room for interpretation of what he thought about himself. And he leaves no room for interpretation of what he wants us to think about him. Let me say that again. In today's gospel, in those words, Jesus wants to remove 
any confusion or ambiguity or interpretation for who he thinks he is. And he wants to remove all interpretation of who he wants us to think he is. He wants to draw attention to himself. Jesus says that, that, that to, to follow him is to follow him. It is about him. Now what's interesting about that is that there is certainly a temptation in the air that we breathe and the conversations that we have and the TV that we watch and, and what we receive and absorb and behold on the internet. There is a tendency, a movement, a temptation to dilute Jesus. If you, you can just pick it up, right? A, a lot of people, for a lot of people, believe it or not, Jesus is no longer relevant, right? Even amongst some Christian preachers, they, they, they rarely talk about Jesus as much as they talk about um, a way of living or, or, or different things like that, right? For, for many people, Jesus has become just a nice guy, or Jesus has become a holy man, or he, he was a good teacher, or he was a prophet. And in the, in the water cooler conversations or, or, or the conversations you might have at the camp or the dinner table around major holidays, like Jesus, who is Jesus? This is a question that is not often asked, but there are answers that are often provided. And that's in 2020. Like in today, my question is, who is Jesus? And not necessarily who do I think he was, but who did he say he was, right? That's really the more important question. We get hooked up into conversations about, well, who is Jesus to you, or who do you think Jesus was? And I'm going to ask you that question today. Who is Jesus? But he's going to give us the answer. He says, I'm God. And 68 years ago, 68 years ago, in 1952, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called Mere Christianity. If you have never read that book, I would encourage you to read it. It's an awesome read for you during the summer. But 68 years ago, C.S. Lewis said this. Look at letter D in the notes for today's message on page 4. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. So what is this foolish thing that 68 years ago C.S. Lewis was, was hearing people say? Second bullet. He says, the one thing we must not say is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Jesus never claimed to be a moral teacher. He was a teacher. He taught. We've been studying his parables for, the, for three Sundays in a row. But Jesus never claimed to be only a moral teacher. Jesus never claimed to be a holy man. But of course we know he was absolutely the epitome of holiness. He, he is holy himself. But he never claimed to, to simply be holy. So Jesus never claimed to be a good guy. He never claimed to be a good teacher. He never claimed to be a holy man. He never claimed to be anything other than God. So for us to interpret Jesus as anything other than God is absolutely inconsistent with how we came to that acknowledgement. Because you see, Jesus, if he's not God, is absolutely, it, it's, it, he's not holy. He's not a good teacher because he taught that he was God. 
So C.S. Lewis says that Jesus said he was God, and there's only three, there's only three ways that we can go with this. Stay with me here. Who is he? Because the answer to that question will change your life today, and the answer to that question has incredible implications in the afterlife. Jesus said it was God. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. C.S. Lewis, 68 years ago, 1952, in Mere Christianity, laid out this argument. Jesus claimed to be God. And there's only three logical, intellectual deductions that we can go with. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Let's kind of walk down that road together just right now, right? He's a liar. What that means is Jesus said that he was God. He said, ego ami. He says, I am. Jesus claimed to be God. And if he was not God, and he knew he was not God, but he claimed to be God, that means he lied. That means his words were meant to deceive us. So Jesus, Jesus is not a nice guy. He's not a good teacher. He's not a, a holy man. He's not a prophet. He said he was God. Did he lie? Because when someone uses words to deceive, those words deceive. Now what's inconsistent with this argument is that his words actually did not Deceive. His words brought healing to people. His words brought recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. His words brought a man back from the dead. His words have changed people's lives. We have historical evidence in this book that his words not only did not deceive, but they altered people's lives in a positive way forever. And for the last 2,000 years, those very words that came from his mouth continue to have a lasting effect. Now certainly, as we look at modern history and and the atrocities of, of the last 100 years. Sometimes people who claim to be Christians can do some very evil things. But the words that Jesus said, the actual words that Jesus mentioned for 2,000 years have always brought life to human beings. So it doesn't make sense that someone who is a liar, someone whose words were meant to deceive, would actually bring so much life, light, and healing and transformation to the world. So it actually does not make sense to say that Jesus was a liar. Number two, Jesus said that he was God. And if Jesus believed that he was God, but he was not God, then that means Jesus was a lunatic. That means he was deranged. That means Jesus is crazy. Now, does that make sense? Does it make sense that Jesus, who claimed that he was God, was not God, but he still believed that he was God? What doesn't make sense there is if we just start with those words again, how could his words have such a dramatic impact on people's lives if the source of those words, his mind, was off or he was delusional or he was a lunatic or he was crazy. Does it make sense that the words of someone like that would have such a dramatic impact in people's lives? It certainly does not make sense that those people who knew him the best 
his apostles would be negatively affected by someone who was delusional, right? We know what happened to Judas, right? Jesus had 12 apostles. We know what had happened to Judas. So it leaves us with 11. Of the 11 people that knew Jesus the best, that followed him every day, that heard his words, that knew him. Of those 11 people, only John did not die a martyr's death. That means 10 people who knew Jesus better than anybody gave their life for that person. None of them recanted. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was sent to India and died a horrific uh, uh, martyrdom there. Of the ten apostles who died a martyr's death, in the face of physical torture, none of them recanted. None of them changed their mind. None of them say, oh, the guy was crazy. None of them changed their mind. They all gave their life for that. Christians at the beginning of Christianity died horrific martyrdom because of the person. In 2,000 years, people continue to give their life even today for the person. Does it make sense that somebody who is crazy would not only have that type of a dramatic impact on people who knew him the best, but who would continue to have that type of dramatic impact for people over the last 2,000 years. So it doesn't make sense that he was a liar. And it doesn't make sense that he was a lunatic. And Jesus said that he was God, which means there's only one logical deduction that's left. If Jesus wasn't a liar, if Jesus wasn't a lunatic, that means that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus claimed to be God, not a nice guy, not a good teacher, not a healer, not a prophet, not a holy man. He said that he was God, and the only logical deduction that's left is that he is who he says he is. He is, ego I me. He is, I am. Jesus is God. This guy that we have become so familiar with, this person who we have heard for some of us our entire life, this person right here, Jesus Christ is God. And when the apostles in that boat realized that Jesus said that he was God, and when the apostles in that boat realized that he is who he says he is, their only response was to bow down before him, to be prostrate before him in worship. And the same is true for us today. If Jesus is who he says he is, the only authentic response before that is to bow down and worship. Now, if I were at a conference right now, if I were given this same talk at any other place other than Our Lady of the Isle in Grand Isle, if I were at a conference, I'd, I'd lower the lights and I'd strike up the band and, and I would just do an altar call right now. But I don't have to do that. Because the Catholic Church invented altar calls. God gave us the altar call when he gave us the mass. There is an altar call today. There is going to be a moment where he is going to be before you. And he is going to ask you, if you believe that, what's your response going to be? In just a few seconds, this person who is God is going to be this bread. It's not a thing. It's a person. The Eucharist is 
I am. The Eucharist is Jesus Christ. And you and I, in just a few minutes, are going to have an opportunity for that person to be presented to you. And my question for you today is, what is your response going to be? He's God. And for some of us, that means that we need to repent. And for some of us, that means that we just need to say yes all over again. And for some of us, that means that we need to receive the Eucharist today as if we were receiving the very presence of God. Because my brothers and sisters, we are receiving I am in our bodies. And so I invite you to close your eyes just for a second. Just close your eyes. Are you ready? If you could forget about everybody else that's here, if you could forget about everything else that's here, and if you knew you were 10 minutes away from receiving God in your body, how would you take the next 10 minutes? How would you prepare? What would you want to say? Pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to what you long for. Pay attention as we prepare to receive I am in our bodies.